Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline. I am Matthew Statler, and I'm here with... Neil Grogan. Neil, we are continuing our topic on marriage, and we talked last week a lot about God's ultimate design in marriage, and we also talked a lot about um, submission and the marriage roles, or briefly discussed them. This could take a long time to conversate about, but this week... We are going to talk about the one flesh relationship in more detail, God's design, and then what happens when God's design is damaged through either our own selfish hearts or the wiles of Satan. And so, as I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about a certain fact that um, I've learned over the years. I'm a very selfish, self-centered individual. And I really didn't recognize that until I was married. And a quick story on that. When I got married, my wife used to ask me if I was going to run into the gas station to grab a drink. I would ask her. I'd I'd be a good husband and say, you know, what would you like me to get you, honey? And she would say, oh, could you pick me up a Sprite? Because that was kind of her drink that she liked. And so I said, okay, sure, no problem. I'd go into the gas station, get my drinks, head out, and I would get to the window of the car, look at her in the face, and then turn around and go back in because I forgot the Sprite. Over and over again, my selfishness uh, reared its ugly head. And in the same token, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I had kids. And I realized that I really love comfort, and I do not love interruption. And if you have four kids, you know it is a life of interruption. What about you, Neil? How, uh, how have you navigated marriage in your uh, recent wisdoms of years. <laughs> yeah, I definitely concur with what you said. It's like, uh, you don't think you're a selfish person, then you get married. And all of your flaws, you become acutely aware of. <laughs> it's like almost overnight. It's like uh, when you get out of the shower with wet feet on the bath rug, and then the next person is wearing socks and steps on the bath rug. It's like <laughs> those little, those little things, right? Your faults Um, will find you out. Right. I mean, and it can come, um, it can come in the, in, in subtle ways, right? It's, uh, how'd you spend your money? You know, did you, did you, uh, go to the store and only think of yourself, you know, or go to, if I, like, if I go to Sonic, I better bring home something for my bride, you know, um, not cause she demands it of me, but because I know that, uh, she feels love like it's a it's a it's a it's a way of expressing my love to her right it's like i was thinking about you here's a drink um yeah yeah but to be frank i mean a lot of times um and i get so inward focused and 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 me focused that man i i'm i'm just like picking me all left and right <laughs> and then my wife has to tell me hey you're doing that thing again where uh, you're being a jerk, you know, right. right. <laughs> Fix yourself. <laughs> so I call, I employ my uh, accountability partners and we get to work on my wicked heart that likes to look only for um, serving Neil, you know, in one of my uh, classes in seminary, my professor, Jeremy Pierre painted a pretty good picture using uh, John Bunyan's, 
uh, metaphors about going towards the celestial city, right? And the celestial city is heaven or Christ, depending on how you want to um, interpret that. And basically, Christian is on a journey and he is heading towards the celestial city. And so what this um, this professor said is marriage is a journey to the celestial city in this life. And so when we think about our life as a journey together, especially when you're married, you become one flesh, you are one uh, movement, you are moving together. And so what I, what I notice is when I'm stumbling or falling or tripping or, or, or injured, my wife is there to pull me along and to pick me up and to push me forward um, on this journey. And the same thing with her is I can help her um, as well. And so we can call each other out on our faults where we're failing to measure up as we we claim to be Christians. And and when we act unchristian, we can call each other out. And so they're, they're, they're the closest inspector gadgets of our lives. And so it's a, it's a big benefit um, for us, which really brings us to our passage today uh, is Genesis chapter two. We're going to go back there. And we just saw in 23, Adam is like just expressing his joy over this beautiful bride that God has provided for him um, is unique among all creation and just a beautiful poem. And then 24 and 25, which is actually quoted often in the New Testament as well, says this, uh, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. And what we can see in that is four things. We see that when you get married, you leave somewhere, you bond or cleave, and then you become one flesh, which means you weave a new story, a new narrative, and then you receive. You're, you're both naked and unashamed. Neil, what does leaving look like uh, to you and, and your, in your marriage, leaving your father and mother? Yeah, I mean... Um... It represents uh, essentially a new umbrella, right? I remember growing up and my, my dad used to say, as long as you're under my umbrella, right, we're going to do things this way, you know, the, according to these measures and the standard. Um, but when you get married, you're leaving that umbrella, that overarching um, familial relationship, and you're beginning a new one. And you are establishing your own relationship with your bride and beginning a, a new path um, focused on Christ together. Um, but there's also, you know, some imagery in the text that gives us a picture of verse 24 and 25. Um, and that's the picture of Adam being put to sleep, the rib being taken out of him, the woman being made. And then when they are joined together, the rib returns home, right? Like they become one flesh together. So we have this beautiful picture in the text to go along with these statements that Matt was talking about. And when we are to uh, get married, we are to leave the home that we came from and leave that, that group of people. That, that means you don't love them, but you're leaving them and you're fully embracing your bride or your husband um, without um, the tensions and the, the grips of those previous um, 
marriages uh, or not marriages, but uh, familiar relationships you had before. And this is really difficult, right, for a lot of cultures um, because there are many col- in, in collective societies. Um, and, and I'm not making a, an argument for individualism or uh, collectivism, but in many collectivistic societies, like, man, you go and live at your mother-in-law's house, you know, you, which I don't think that's what this text is really talking about. This text is really talking about this, like you are fully embraced to your bride and you have, you have shed the, the whatever weight or drag of family that you had before and you've created, you're creating a new family. Yeah. You, um, you don't go to your mother and complain about your wife anymore. You know, you don't go, you don't gossip about your spouse to your, your family and you kind of break away. The second thing that we see is, um, bonding or cleaving. Cleaving is just an old word to say bonding. Um, in our, in our modern English, when we think of cleaving, we think of it cutting apart, but really it means bonding to or connecting, kind of like gluing together. And so we have to take pains to bond with our spouse, get to know them, um, care about their needs. And this this is that profound mystery that Paul is talking about, the process of being made into one flesh. Uh, the third thing that we see is that you are weaving a new narrative. That's the whole walking together to the celestial city. You're, you're no longer just individual doing, a, doing your life. You're now combined with another person and you make a story together. You're being, I like how someone said you are, a, you're making a thread that is weaved into the grand tas- tapestry of the grand narrative. And so you're one thread now being woven into God's narrative story. And so uh, it's just such a beautiful picture. Neil, what do you got about that? Yeah. Um, with the, with the weaving, I think uh, many people stop at the physical level. Uh, they think this is a picture of, okay, we're united in the bedroom. That's what this means. Right. And it's so much deeper than that. You know, the, the word for uh, flesh, the Hebrew word for, for flesh is consistently used um, for the whole person, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And so, man, this this picture, this flesh relationship that Genesis 2 is talking about, is like not only are you um, weaving physically with your bride in an intimate physical relationship, but your souls are weaving together on a spiritual and emotional intimacy uh, type of relationship. And so, man we're quite literally to give all of ourselves or all of our essence to one another. Yeah, absolutely. Which then leads to uh, the receiving the, the being naked and unashamed. Right. And, and this in the perfect relationship means that you are open to each other, to conversation with each other, communication about each other's faults without feeling um, certain aspects which is what we see Satan attack immediately. So Satan attacks the family right at the beginning. And he knows that if he can disrupt this family unit, then he can disrupt the whole world. Then he does. And we see the effects now today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can also look then at the sin's consequences. In um, chapter 3, we see the temptation of Eve and Adam. And then we see sin's consequences. 
And right at the beginning, starting in verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord. There we go. All Automatically, we have shame. They are ashamed of themselves. And then God asks Adam, what's going on? Where are you? And he says, he starts to blame his spouse, right? He's like, that woman that you gave me, she did something. You gave me. Neil, did you have something on that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he's totally blaming God and his bride. That's right. <laughs> the <laughs> relationships last. are chopped up. <laughs> He went from at last to that woman you gave me, Lord, like the the relationship. But but that's the picture, right? When we talk about a one flesh relationship or a covenant relationship, it's made between a man and a woman and God for a lifetime. And so in this receiving, you know, area um, that's been attacked by Satan uh, through the institution of shame, right? We, yep. we see the, the responses now. I'm going to blame everyone I'm in a covenant relationship with and, That's and right. burn up those and burn up those relationships. And we see that at play in our marriages today. When I fail to do something, let's say I forget to take out the trash and my wife asked me, hey, you forgot the trash this morning. Do I snap at her and treat her poorly? Well, you forgot to cook dinner last night. Right. What is that? That's my shame turning into blame. Um, and these are the weapons that we use to hurt each other, which kind of leads into two other things, claim and maim. And so we claim our rights. Right. We say, oh, well, I have a right to be treated a certain way or respected a certain way. And then we maim the other person when they don't give it to us. And this really leads us into are we in competition or are we in cooperation? Are we one flesh or are we one flesh at war with itself? And if your marriage has turned into a this for that or, or, or um, you, you, know, you do this and I do this. And what we've done is we've no longer we've lost sight of what marriage is. It's no longer a leaving, cleaving or bonding. I like bonding better. That's why I keep throwing it in there. Um, you could say uniting. Uniting, uh, weaving, yeah. and then. Uh, receiving no longer is that your your purpose in your marriage it's now what can i get out of this right and so you see so many marriage books talk about oh marriage is 50 50 or you know we have to each pull our load or even even a, a wonderful book the love languages the five love languages which has some true statements in there it has the idea that we should only speak the love language that our spouse likes. And that's not true. We should speak all love languages or demands, right? And we should actually speak all love languages fluently. And we should each strive to speak those languages to each other continually. And not because they demand it, but because we're honoring Christ, which we talked about last week. Neil, how have you seen this play out either in your marriage or marriages that you know, where it turns into a competition? Oh yeah, man. Um, anytime I talk with someone who's like, I'm having some marital issues. I mean, I can usually trace it to this, to this point. So just kind of break it down real Barney style. Um, when we are competing against one another, someone always loses and in turn you both lose. Yeah. And so this can happen in the way you argue, uh, an issue 
or the the way you make decisions or you know what it could happen in the bedroom it can happen with your kids it can so on and so forth right but if you see your your bride as uh, someone competing against you the way you're truly looking at them is as your enemy and when you're looking at your enemies, like if you're like me, right, I defeat my enemies, right? <laughs> like, right, right. Uh, I, it, you know, say Matt was like, um, his bicep was like 48 inches <laughs> and he's like, you want to arm wrestle? In my mind, y'all, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to arm wrestle Matt with the full belief in myself that I will win. And uh, even if I lose, like I'm going in that because I'm very competitive, you know, but if I take that competitive nature or posture into the marriage relationship, then, hey, I'm always trying to win and to um, lord over or dominate or, you know, all of the things that we're told in scripture specifically not to do to one another. And so, you know, it's funny because the the only thing that I see in scripture to instructing us to in competition against one another is in showing one another honor. Outdo and, each other in love. Yeah. <laughs> outdo each other in love. That's the only competitive uh, thing you're supposed to do. Um, otherwise, you are stripping, you are ripping, physically ripping this one flesh relationship into two. And you're doing that metaphorically and in reality. And so, you know, in my, in my marriage, right. It can be on, it's, it's been on simple things like, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, a few, it's a few years now, but, um, Brittany really wanted to homeschool the kids and I didn't want her to homeschool kids because we were dealing with some other, um, kind of high stress type of things. And I thought it wouldn't be a good idea, but Brittany really wanted to do it. She felt like she could do it, all that stuff. We began to argue with one another about where the kids should go to school, you know? And what happened was we are competing against each other to get our wills uh, accomplished. And in the, in the end, right, one of us ended up hurt and the other one of us ended up not doing a good job during that season. And man, it, it, you know, made Brittany not want to homeschool again for a while, you know, made me like question those things instead of us slowing down and beginning to communicate with each other, um, to actually accomplish what needed to be accomplished. So if what we're doing in marriage is we're competing with one another, we can, um, kind of replace that word. Like, how do we navigate that or navigate out of that? Well, we do it with competition. I'm sorry, communication. Yeah. Um, and, and that takes, um, men walking as they should walk as servant leaders. And it takes women, um, looking to help in, in, and, and submit in the ways that would honor and glorify the Lord. That doesn't mean be a pushover. That means you're trying to figure out the issue and navigate it together. Yeah. So what we see in James is what is the source of wars and fights among you? And this is from James four. Don't they come from your passions or your own desires that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have you murder and covet. You cannot obtain 
you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And what we have there is a failure of communication. You don't communicate with God, first of all. That's your ultimate number one communication event. And you communicate your your desires and your needs. And, and we see that in our marriages. And I like how Neil said, it's little things. And these little foxes get into the vineyards and start wrecking everything else. Uh, we see that in um, a simple example is toothpaste. And this is not a true story. I've made this story up because I don't want to make anyone feel bad like my wife. And so I've made this story up. And let's pretend that I go into the bathroom and I see that the toothpaste is not rolled from the bottom. I just see it squeezed in the middle. And I know that she knows that I like my toothpaste rolled up from the bottom. And so as I consider this, I say, I wonder why she did this to me. She is purposely hurting my feelings. She is purposely getting at me. She's trying to cause problems. So what do I do? I leave the cap off the toothpaste. That's how I'll get back at her. And then she sees the cap off and then she gets mad. And the next thing you know, um, half the toothpaste is poured out into a bowl. I don't know. Like it just, it escalates. And then I yell at her one day because I'm mad. And I'm like, well, you, you left the toothpaste like that. And she's like, no, you did that. And next thing you know, we're fighting because we perceive our rights being damaged or we fail to communicate our needs or our problems. And, and here's the problem with these quote unquote needs is usually they're just desires that turn into needs. Um, my favorite explanation of this scenario is after a hard day at work, maybe it's counseling, maybe it's pastoring. I'm on my way home and I begin to reflect on what I want to do when I get home. And I like to sit on the couch. I like to pull open a book and I like to read and just relax after a busy, hard day. I get into the, I get to the door and I'm starting to think, you know, if I don't have this, I'm going to be a miserable pastor and parent tomorrow. In fact, I have to have this in order to be successful tomorrow. And so I walk in the door and the kids are screaming and crying and running around, acting crazy. My wife hasn't had a chance to get any dinner on, even though she's worked most of the day too. And I just explode, right? I yell at the kids because my, my, my idea of comfort is evaporated. And so I yell at the kids and tell them to go to their room. I yell at my wife or ask her harshly or say something snarky. That's usually how I fight my battles. And I say something snarky like, oh, well, I guess we're not getting dinner tonight. And then I go sit on the couch. And what happens? I'm miserable. My conscience is bothering me. So what do I do? I get up and I apologize to everybody involved. I go tell my kids I'm sorry. I correct their behavior, but I also apologize for my behavior. And then the story's not over yet. The battle's not done because what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm driving home again. What is my mindset again? I have to change my mindset and say, instead of how can I serve myself is how can I serve my family as God has created me? And so when I do get to the door and I open up that door and guess what? Nothing has changed. The kids are still running around like crazy. Food still probably isn't ready. I can approach my wife out of love and care and say, what can I do? Can I call the, can I call pizza in tonight? What, you know, what, how can I serve you? And then I grab the kids and I put them on the couch and I talk to them about the way we respect our home is not by screaming and hollering and trying to light everything on fire. Right. And we, we have a, a decent conversation and that's communication. Right. Um, but it comes from the heart, from the center 
and it's restoring back to this receiving, um, cleaving, leaving, weaving, that whole concept of becoming one flesh. And the goal is not, the problem is my comfort is at, at stake. The problem is now, how can we come to solutions? Um, and how do we negotiate? Neil, have you ever had to negotiate with your spouse a difficult concept? Like where do you go on vacation or who do you spend time with or or anything like that? Yeah, um, usually the difficult conversations we have are, you know, regarding money, um, which is a number one reason people make for divorce, right? Um, or excuse that's made for divorce. Yeah, so, you know, say we get our tax return in, right? Because we're of the tax bracket where we get tax returns. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's about like, well, what are we going to do with this now? And it becomes difficult. Sometimes like, let's pay off debt. Or sometimes it's like, no, let's get a, a, a Bose stereo, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Usually Brittany's the wiser of the two of us. Um, um, but But we, you know, in the past have done one or, you know, in our earlier years in marriage, we would do one or two things. Either I would say, no, we're doing this. And Brittany would then in turn have to internalize that, you know, cause she didn't feel like she could actually talk to me at that point. And then I, what happened was she began to fill this Rolodex <laughs> with, yeah. with ways I have sinned against her. Right. And she would begin to respond to me in passive, aggressive, sinful ways or, you know, not want to follow me because I was yeah. making bad choices, you know. And so it didn't come until we you know, slowed down and got a better, fuller picture of what marriage was, according to scripture, where we were actually able to navigate and uh, make the right decisions and the right call. So if you'll remember last um podcast we talked about the ultimate purpose of our marriage is to reflect the the marriage relationship between Christ and the church in our in in our relationships with our spouses and we said that there were kind of three ways we can um, do this this walk this purpose out we talked about through mutual submission servant leadership and glad submission and uh, one's um, focus man man you know the male focus the husband one is the wife focus and then the other is together focused and so you know if we if we slow down right and just to take your example from earlier matt when you're talking about coming home yeah. and wanting and desiring to do stuff for you because you need it right yeah okay so what does a servant leader do how do how does a husband lead in this moment? Well, he needs, to, he needs to lay down his life. That's right. And so, what could that look like? Um, one of the things that we talk through quite often is this thing uh, I like to call "dead dad," <laughs> mm. and uh, that's where when you come home from work, you pull into that parking lot or your driveway. Sorry, depending on where you live, um, you pull into that driveway. And you begin to pray and ask God to kill your flesh, right? To um, help you to take up this cross and follow you. Help me to bring me out, God. I need your help because when I go in there in my own strength, I do what I want to do. 
and I don't serve my wife. I don't lead my children. I don't love well or effectively. In fact, I just choose me and neglect it all. So God, would you help me be obedient? And you're asking God to send you poopy diapers to change, dishes to wash for your wife, um, opportunities to play with your kids, whatever you can do to love your bride. And that will help her when you get home. Cause she hasn't had a break y'all. You know, if she's been with the kids, she's been with them the whole time, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's stressful. And so when you go in your house right now, you have a decision to make. Well, I walk this out and go to your what a beautiful because- picture, too. Right. Now, yeah. marriage of because you're you're you as a man are desiring to die to self right. in this marriage. And what if the wife at the same token was dying to herself? in this relationship. I mean, how beautiful of a cooperative team would that look like? I mean, I tell my kids this often. I said, what if you guys outdut were outdoing each other in love? Both of you would get what you want, right? We ask them to clean their room. If both of them are trying to outdo each other in cleaning the room, what a wonderful experience. Instead of like you clean half, I clean half, and then you get they start fighting over what's not their half and what toy is halfway in the half, you know, and it's right. That's a beautiful picture, man. And that and that goes back to like that's what mutual submission is. That's right. And so if we're trying to accomplish the purpose of marriage that God has designed for us, then we're navigating as individuals to work towards this mutual collective unit that is glorifying God and what we do. And so man, when you get in the house after doing this dead dad, right? If you will, um, you ask your wife, "Well, how can I how can I help you? How can I serve you?" And one day she might say, you can wash these dishes. <laughs> Another yeah. day she might say, rub these feet. <laughs> Another right. day she might say, can you go um, out in the backyard and throw the ball around with, with the kids, you know, uh, or do a tea party with your daughter? You know, I don't know. But now you're communicating with one another so that you can accomplish what needs to be accomplished still. And then lastly, um, how do you end your day? Um you know, we talk a lot, Matt and I, throughout the years, have talked a lot about, you know, every family needs a mission statement. You need to know where you're going. You need to have vision to what you're doing. And um, one of the the values that's in our mission statement as a house is family worship. Like we could have committed ourselves to doing family worship or faith talks, um, whatever you want to call it. And how we've... D- work this out kind of following Donald Whitney's model is we read the Bible, we pray together, we sing, and that's how we end our day. And, uh, we, sometimes we're more consistent than other times with it, but that's something Brittany and I have communicated with, with each other. That is the most beneficial for our family. And that leads us as a, as a marital couple, uh, towards mutually submitting to Christ and leading our kids towards that submission to Christ. And so that's something we've committed to and we and we try to do it as consistently as possible. Um, And man, wouldn't you know, (laughs) wouldn't you know that when we open up God's word, he begins to reveal our hearts and to deal with us as he needs to. And that creates more opportunities for talking and for growth on an intimate level with your bride or with your husband. 
I hope you guys have been able to see how the gospel affects your marriage through um, our reliance on the completed work of Christ in our marriages. That's the only way that we can submit to one another and set our, our rights aside. We, we hear that in, um, in echoes from Philippians where it talks about Christ taking on human flesh uh, in order to dwell among us and become a servant. And so if we follow Christ, we can only do these things. We are going to be addressing some of the more difficult topics of marriage as we go forward. As you could probably tell, there is a lot that marriage um, involves. There's actually a lot more we could talk about in a marriage um, because it deals with two sinful human beings bonding together in the flesh. And a lot of times our, our sins become even worse in a marriage scenario. And so we will be dealing with that as the uh, weeks go forward. And I hope you can tune in. Hey, if you haven't, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with your friends, your family? Uh, if you find this at all beneficial to you, let it, help us get the word out. We're not trying to build a platform for ourselves, but we are trying to help people um, understand the things of God in a practical and accessible way. Um, and so we would really consider it a personal favor to us if you would go ahead and share that or send it to somebody you know who's struggling. Uh, God bless and subscribe and like and do all those other fancy things that people do. Um, also, just be aware we do have a have this on YouTube, so you can listen to it on YouTube if that's your preferred thing. So, God bless. Take care and have a great week, and we will see you again. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Lifeline.